In our latest tech founder interview, we speak to Ravine Shah, the co-founder and former co-CEO of QuickTap Survey, which we helped him sell to Providence Equity about 18 months ago. Ravine has a fascinating story and a ton of experience scaling SaaS companies. And we hope you enjoy this interview. So let's jump right in. Great. Thanks for joining me today, Ravine. Yeah, my pleasure. It's great to have you on the show. Um, and I think just a little bit of background in terms of what we do. We, we try to interview entrepreneurs and founders of businesses and really get a story on their journey and everything and where they, you know, where they made mistakes, where they had good outcomes, et cetera. And so let's dig into some of the questions that we had. I think, you know, I, I, I like to go back to early kind of childhood first and say, you know, when when you were growing up, what did you kind of want to do? And was there an entrepreneurial piece of your your early childhood that you can remember? Or was that kind of a later piece of your story? Yeah, so I kind of grew up around business. We've had uh, entrepreneurs in the family. And so I was always interested in entrepreneurship and in business, but didn't really know if that was something I wanted to do. Um, in high school, I remember not knowing where I wanted to do for university or where I wanted to go. And, um, and then at the time, tech was starting to pick up. My uncle was in tech, so he really pushed me towards Waterloo. And, and so I ended up in tech more because it was a growing industry mm-hmm. and not necessarily, you know, I'm a techie or I'm passionate about tech. Right. But uh, yeah, so I ended up in tech, but always had an entrepreneurial itch. Okay. And then when you started work, um, what was kind of, what was the early motivations there for you when you first took your first job? Like what were your kind of early goals that you had? Yeah. So for me, when I, uh, when I entered the workforce, I really wanted to prove myself. I wanted to get a lot of experience. I wanted to ascend quickly. And so I tried to maintain good relationships, do good work, you know, stay connected. Um, and and I really wanted to grow fast, make you know, make more money, get more experience. Um, yeah. Yeah. And do you think that's changed over time? Like, is that has it mellowed out? Has it intensified? Like, I mean, I always think back to different stages in my life. There's there's different motivations as you go through life. There's the underlying theme, but there's intensification or or pacification of that. Like, any commentary around that? Yeah. So I mean, I'd say that what has always been there and uh is this desire for growth uh at the you know when i was in corporate when i was working it was growth it was individual growth personal growth and and that came through more responsibilities better titles higher salary as i moved into business that growth translated to to revenue growth team size um and and so that desire to grow has always been there and that's really what's fueled me um, throughout my entire journey, but, uh, but yeah, other stuff, you know, that's important in corporate, I think is less important now, um, in business, mm-hmm. but I definitely took a lot of the lessons learned and, and strategies forward. And would you say that growth perspective right now, like your own personal growth, is that still a focus for you now post exit and everything? Not as much as it should be. Uh, I would love to invest in myself and uh and and better myself but i just keep wanting to to go back to starting a new company or or get back to 
industry. Um, so I, I do try, but yeah. not as much as I would like to. Right. And then I guess, you know, what, what would you say your biggest lessons were from that early career experience, experience like working for someone else and that, that um, pre-entrepreneurial breakout? Was there particular lessons that you took away of like, I want to do this differently, I want to do more of that, less of this, etc.? Yeah, I think the biggest lessons I learned were, you know, was around how to work with people um, and and how to leverage resources. So, both in my in my early days or my entire career, I was always focused on building relationships, working with people, empowering people to get things done. And then I was always good at figuring out what the resources uh, that were available were to me and leveraging them. Right. A lot of times, people just didn't know what was out there to help them and, and so they'd be spinning yeah um but for me like, that was something i was good at was right navigating my resources and do you think i mean like a lot of folks these days are like either graduating high school going straight into business or going to university going straight into business you think um that you know w- w- given that you did the career thing first and then the then the entrepreneurial uh stuff that you did you think there's a better path either way? Is, is having a job first a, a, an important facet to becoming a better entrepreneur? Do you have a view on that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I strongly believe that that working first uh, is the way to go. I know what happens the other way around. You have entrepreneurs coming straight out of university or, or high school and, and starting companies and that's great, but I find that what work allows you to do is really figure out your own strengths and weaknesses. Um, what are you good at? Where do you need support? Uh, and and being in a working environment and with a low risk lets mm. you figure that out. So yeah. I would strongly advise people to to work first, figure out what you're good at and where your passions lie, and then uh, and then. Because I find that's a crucial part of entrepreneurship. Yeah, for sure. And, and almost get someone else to pay for your development, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I share the same view. I think you also, not only do you get better self-development and experience in a job that then you take to entrepreneurship, but you also get to see where there's gaps as well, right? Like when you're coming out of university, you don't necessarily haven't honed your skills or your industry experience enough to say, oh, there's a big glaring hole in the industry here that I can fill. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So was, you know, in terms of leaving that job and going and starting QuickTap Survey, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. Like, was there a catalyst there? Was there one particular event that you just said, okay, now's the right time? What kind of, what crystallized that move for you and, and jumping off from the safety of a job to the complete unsafety of, of entrepreneurship? Yeah, so I uh, I don't even know if you know this, but I started another company uh, before QuickTap Survey. It was called mm-hmm. Resident LinkUp. It was intended to um, connect condos with their with their residents, okay, um, and, and effectively help them manage their condos. I started it in Chicago. I was all alone. Um, I just couldn't get it off the ground. I, I made some progress, but eventually it, it fizzled away. And so that was my first sort of attempt at, at starting a company. After that, I tried running a speed dating company and like right. little random things here and there just to get you know some entrepreneurial experience or just try to keep something off the ground. Yeah. Um, but in 2010, when we started QuickTap Survey, the 
the iPad had just been released, um, and you know, me and my my partner were walking down the street, and somebody stopped us with a clipboard and asked us to to do a survey, and so we're like, oh, there's got to be a better way. Like, how how could anybody still be using paper and the yeah. clipboard? Yeah. Um, and so the timing was right. I was also, you know, me and my business partner were also uh, at the right stage of our um, personal journeys to, to start something. Yeah. And, and so we did. And did you start it while you were still working? Like, was there a transition period or was it like complete cut? No, we had good question. We, for six months, we were doing it part-time. So okay. evenings and weekends. Yeah. Um, and we could not make any real progress. And so... We came to a decision in February of 2011 to, to quit our jobs and go full time. Okay. And uh, and yeah, so that that was a really good move. Um, and again, we just couldn't make any progress part time. Right. And was that an agonizing moment for you? Like, was that like sleepless nights going into that, going into quitting your job and everything? Like, you know, leaving that safety of that income and stuff, or was it because it? happened over time just it just became more natural yeah it was i'd say it's the opposite it was so exciting yeah. to be able to put two feet in and commit everything of what we've got to the business yeah and uh and you know i luckily had uh you know my wife at home and she was you know running the household drawing her salary and so there was some comfort there in terms yeah. of our day-to-day expenses right but um we were super excited. I mean, it was it was go time. Yeah. yeah. And so what are some of the early lessons that you, you know, like, so you go two feet in early 2011, and so does your partner. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what does those first few months look like when you're like, was there ever a, oh, crap moment? What did I do? Or, um, and, and, uh, and the second part of that question then is like, how did you get through that period? Yeah, so... The oh crap moments were weekly, <laughs> if not daily. I mean, uh, it was it was tough. And looking back, I think the biggest mistake we made was underestimating how long it takes to actually get a business off the ground. When we quit our jobs um, in February of 2011, our expectations were that in six months we'd have some sort of business and some, you know, so we'd have something. Yeah. And, uh, and the reality is that after six months, we were literally just getting started. Yeah. And so our runway was way too short. And so we, we didn't plan for it. We didn't save for it. We didn't budget for it. Right. And, uh, and so that early lesson was like, you have to be realistic. You've got to give a new venture at least two years to, to really see if you've got something. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was the biggest challenge for us. And, uh, for the way we overcame it was to just to push on and keep going at any cost. And that was hard because there were days where we just wanted to shut down, close the doors, go back to our comfortable, cushy, you know, nine to five jobs. But, uh, but, but we pushed on, we had little wins that would just carry us forward, both emotionally and financially. Yeah, and uh, and so every little thing for the first two years would just carry us a little forward, a little forward. Right, right. And so, do you think, you know, because a common question that you always see founders having is, do we stick with it? Are we on to something? But it's just going to take more time, or should we just, you know, this is not a good idea. 
how do you kind of think about that question? Like, how do you, you know, is it just about those kind of incremental wins that get you there and, and give you kind of some substance or light at the end of the tunnel? Or is it, you know, how did you kind of, kind of think about that in the early days? Yeah, so I mean, one of the biggest, uh, so the question is really, when do you know when it's time to quit? Yeah. Or do you keep going? Exactly, yeah. And for us, there was a clear answer because if there was no money, you know, we wouldn't have been able to continue. Yeah. And so for us, revenue generation was a, was validation. And, mm -hmm. and I'd say that's a big thing because if you're in a business and you're not making money or you have no clear idea of where the revenue is going to come from. Yeah. Um, and again, this is not applicable to your, your unicorn businesses or the ones where you've got some crazy growth uh, trajectory and you've got funding. But if you're a bootstrap company and you can't get revenue or understand where the revenue is going to come from, mm -hmm. it's probably time to, to pull the plug. Yeah, I mean, I would even argue for the VC-backed companies, you've got to make that decision at some point too, right? Like the money kind of hides some of the problems, Absolutely. right? And, yeah. and a bootstrap company, you just have to make money faster True. because <laughs> you don't have any other option, right? Yeah, so, right. yeah. Um, and then so uh, in terms of just early decisions that you made that you, you feel like were really good ones that really set you up for success, any, any things that come to mind as a particular point in time that said that was a really good decision and that was a, a, a big contributor to this early success of QuickTap? Yeah, no, I, I think that there were – like I said, little wins in the first two years that each one was an, a success because it would get us you know, further and further. Um, but as, as far as one major contributing you know, factor, I, I think just pushing on and, and being, and it was an achievement because there are days, and like I said, where we just wanted to stop. Yeah. But pushing on, getting through the next day, getting through the next milestone really uh, was was the achievement. It, it helped us in the early days more yeah. than anything. Okay. Yeah. Obviously, yes. we had to have a product and, yeah. and sell to customers and all that, but yeah. um, just sticking to it. So was there an early customer win that really stands out for you? Like that was like, oh, this is such a good customer. This is, we, We're on to something, you know? Yeah, there were three. I, I, they, there were three customers that – Without them, we would have failed entirely. Yeah. Uh, the first was you know Pitney Bowes, and that was through one of our, our good friends. He made an introduction. He saw what we were doing. Saw a need. Right. Um, it was a lot. It was a lot more services heavy than we had anticipated. But again, in those days, you do what you can. You do, yeah. yeah. And uh, so that was you know our first good contract yeah. that that helped us. Uh, good Life Fitness mm. was another one, and. Uh, we worked with them, you know, in that pre-sales process for over a year, maybe right. even a year and a half. Wow. And, uh, but it, it materialized finally and, and they were a fantastic customer. Yeah. Uh, both from a learning and revenue perspective. And then uh, Harley Davidson was nice. another one yeah. that uh, we won early on and, and carried us forward. It's good. Yeah. I mean, when you get brands like that, validate using your software and staying with it and that sort of stuff, that is real validation, right? Like that's enough motivation to kind of pick you back up and keep you going. True. And they're great 
you know, regardless of what's happening behind the doors of the office, you post these logos on your website, you know, that has instant credibility. Yeah. And, uh, and, and that was good for us in the early days. Yeah, good. Okay, great. And then I guess on the other side of things, what was one of the worst early decisions you made or a decision that you look back on and say, okay, if we'd done something different there, would it, it would have played out differently. Is there, is there one that comes to mind? Um, so yeah, we made a big mistake early on and that's when we launched QuickTap Survey as a SaaS do-it-yourself platform. We really built the technology and expected our users to figure it out themselves. And we didn't have much of an onboarding process and, and tools and tactics to actually acquire our customers that were coming through the door. Right. In fact, I remember having a conversation with a customer asking me why we didn't have onboarding. And that's when I actually looked up what onboarding was. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um, and my first reaction was, what? this customer doesn't know what they're talking about. And then I did a little bit of, of digging and I'm like, oh, wow, we are missing yeah. a big part of the, of the puzzle. Right. And, uh, and so that was, a, I guess, an early mistake that definitely would have cost us customers, but something we, we quickly rectified. Right. And then who was doing that? Did you hire someone to do that straight away or was that falling on you and your business partner? It, initially, we did have, uh, we had a team uh, that, you know, we called our customer support team. And so they were fielding emails from customers. But what we weren't doing was setting our customers up for success so that mm -hmm. they could themselves understand what the steps were to actually get the product in a usable way for them. Yeah. And uh, so we had the team, it just we didn't have the processes. Right. Okay. Sounds good. Um, and then anything, I know I've heard you talk about like setting up your tax structure and stuff like that for an exit, those sort of things. It sounded like you had regretted not doing you know, investing a little bit of money in that at the point where you knew things were going right. Any, any kind of commentary on that? Like, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, when we started again, we had no idea what we were doing. We were first time business owners, first time entrepreneurs, at least at this scale. Um, and so we just, we just went with the flow and did whatever was fastest and cheapest. But looking back, you know, there were some, key things that we should have done differently and, and our structure, share structure was one of them. Yeah. And had we done it earlier on, yeah. it would have been much more beneficial um, yeah. to us. And, and so moving forward now that I would never start a company without having an accountant and a lawyer review the structure and at least, and, and, th and your goals and objectives change over yep. time, but at least whatever your plan is, you know, do you want to sell within five to 10 years? Is this something you want to see doing for 20 years? All of that can help decide uh, the best and the most optimal structure. For you know, sure. Do that yeah. Up front. yeah, and it's, it doesn't cost much money, but it can save you a lot of money on the back end, for absolutely. sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you, you, I think you, it's well known that you went out and tried to raise money initially, um, and then, you know, decided not to, or was, you know, it was hard, obviously capital raising environment at that point in time. Um, and then you decided to kind of bootstrap. Any lessons from that experience of, of one going out and pitching uh, VCs and investors and everything about the story and being declined, but then two, deciding to bootstrap the business instead? Yeah, so the bootstrapping part, I'd say was less of a 
choice and more of a necessity uh, because we needed to fund the development of our platform. We needed to hire people. And, and to your point, we weren't getting much love from, from the investment community. Now, I have to qualify. We didn't do a whole lot of pitches and, uh, to VCs, but okay. the ones that we did were evident enough for us that there was something missing yeah. um, from what they were looking for. And, and really, there were two main things that, that we weren't able to provide at the time. And one was a market size yeah because we were still new and figuring out what we were building we didn't know who exactly we were building it for yeah what the market size was like and and how what kind of growth we could realistically anticipate um so we were a little early on that Mm -hmm. and then um and then also the plan of what you're going to do with the money again because we were so early and you can model it based on other companies, but we really didn't know. We didn't have an engine at the time that right. said, oh, if I put money here yeah. and do this, it's going to you know, turn into this kind of right. out, you know, output. That was kind of unit economics, basically. Yeah. Right? yeah. And we didn't yeah. have that. And yeah. we didn't also have a good answer right. for why we didn't have it. Right. <laughs> And but you know, you said bootstrapping was kind of out of necessity. I think looking back, would you have changed anything on that? Like if you go forward now and do another business, is it going to be VC backed? And and or if if and if not, why not? Yeah, great question. No, I, I wouldn't have changed a thing. Yeah, I think bootstrapping a business keeps you honest. It keeps you gritty. It keeps you on your your feet on the ground. Yeah, and uh, I wouldn't have changed it for the previous company, and for my new company, at least right now and in the early stages, I wouldn't look for for any VC funding. Yeah, um, I think there's a time and a place for for venture backed uh, businesses, and at least I I don't see that as something that one should look at off the you know at the beginning. You really should have that engine first before yeah. you're looking for for that. Yeah. And I, I, I agree a lot with that. I mean, I think in reality, bootstrapping forces you to know your customer, get to know your customers as quickly as possible and, and fill a void, right? Like, otherwise, if you've got money and you're just spending Google AdWords and you're getting certain conversion, you're hiding those problems that we talked about. But like, I, I think bootstrapping, at least initially for the first period of time, to get to a point where you've got a minimal viable product, you've got some customers using it and loving the product yeah. is is huge because it teaches you a lot more than being backed by a lot of money True. and hiding those problems. So True. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it makes it, it does make it hard when if you have no money at all. Right. Because <laughs> then you've got to either you're doing everything yourself yeah. and then getting overwhelmed. Yeah. Or, you know, you're hiring people uh, and having to find alternate arrangements yeah. for, for compensation. And that's also difficult. Yeah. Um, so there is like this, you do need some money yeah. in the early days, but it's just, if you can raise a friends and family round or, you know, find some other way to, to take personal debt. Yeah. Again, uh, it's never, never something you want to do, but again, yeah. depending on how passionate you are and how much risk you want to take, it could help. Right. move things along faster in those early days. And what did those early day kind of employees look like? Like who were those first two, three hires and and what kind of problems did they solve for you? Yeah, I remember them vividly. So our first full-time um, employee was someone I had worked with 
in a previous company and we had stayed in touch and he was interested in what we were doing and, uh, and you know, we got some equity as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he was helping on the product development side. Okay. Yeah. Um, the second hire was a co-op student. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> and, you know, he was someone that I think couldn't get placed through the typical co-op program. And so came through the back door yeah. and we were able to hire him and, and, uh, you know, give him an internship, but he was a multi-talented guy as well. So he did support and videos and graphic design. And right, think, right. Yeah, he did a little bit of everything. Yeah. And then we hired uh, someone on customer success, customer service to, to help us. And again, in those early days, a little bit of everything. Yeah. But yeah. really the face of the company in terms of customer uh, conversation. Yeah, that's cool. No, it's, it's always interesting to see which are the first hires of a young organization and what holes are they trying to fill? Yeah. You know, did it make your life any easier post hiring those people or just shifted oh. your focus to something else? It made it infinitely easier Yeah, uh, because we were doing everything at first. And yeah. so we were creating processes as we we're going along, but then having people helped us refine those processes and, uh, and, and take ownership of certain areas. Yeah. And I think the only way we were able to, to grow was by giving up more, giving ownership to team members on specific aspects of the business. Right, right. And, uh, and as they owned it, um, we'd be able to focus on, on growth and other things like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, let's, and let's fast forward a little bit. Um, obviously, you sold the company, I guess, coming up a couple of years ago almost, a year and a half. Almost. Yeah. Okay, a year and a half for sure. Um, what was that process like in terms of just uh, getting to the realization that it might be time to sell and, um, you know, and getting mentally prepared for selling your baby that you've spent so much years pouring into? So Yeah, no, it was, it was hard, but the timing was right. And, you know, we were, as you know, we were getting calls from different uh, – interested parties mostly you know PE firms and and uh, and so it was it, it was apparent to us that there might be the opportunity to sell here I think Tishon and I also brought the business as far as we could um, with our skills and experience and yeah. so recognizing that you know we had brought the company to its place and that there might be an opportunity for the company to grow even further yeah um, and for us to, to get an exit were, were some of the things that we, we considered when we, were, when we were selling. Right. And then how did it feel actually the day of closing? Like it's, oh. always, it's always an emotional <laughs> couple of days running into that and everything. And It was unbelievable. Like it's one of those things where we were working, as you remember, we were working so hard and, and – we had a couple of extensions of the process. And, and so it never really felt like it was going to happen. Yeah. Truthfully, we're like, yeah. okay, we're doing it. We're following the process. Maybe it will happen. Maybe it won't happen. Yeah. You know, and then you know, you're biting your nails and just <laughs> hoping that it happens. And, yeah. And then when it happened, I think we were just like, it, it was unbelievable. It was this feeling of like, did this really happen? Are right. we dreaming? Yeah. Um, and then a few days afterwards, we're like, oh, okay. Well, 
or when the the money hit the bank. Yeah, that helps. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, it happened. Wow, this is this is real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a funny because it's always an emotional journey, right? Like it's it takes some time to get from the start to the finish, and there's lots of ups and downs, and even when you're talking to one party and you're nearly in the end of a transaction, there's still hiccups and roadblocks and whatever else. And so it is a real roller coaster of emotions, right? So Yeah, and I, I remember you had the, you brought in the closer. Was it Mike, Mike <laughs> the closer to uh, to kind of yeah. reel everyone in? And, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, thank you guys for that because without getting that focus and bringing everyone in, I don't, I don't even know if that yeah. day would have happened. For sure, yeah. yeah. Um, and then how's it been post-selling the company, right? So obviously you stuck around for a few months and then uh, decided to leave and everything. Um, post that, like, you know, how's it been adjusting to not dealing with the daily grind of entrepreneurship? Yeah, it's uh, it's been, and people will probably shoot me for saying this, but it's been good and bad. Uh, it's been great in having some flexibility, some time, you know, my family and I, we've traveled a little bit. Um, and so, you know, to take advantage of this quote unquote downtime. Yeah. But on the other side, you know, you've been, I was doing something for eight years that I was excited and passionate about and to stop doing that and to start with a clean slate, um, it's hard yeah. because you don't know or at least, you know, you, you don't know where to evolve from, from there. Yeah. And so that's been a journey as well. And I'm happy to say that, you know, I, I went through it, a, a, per, a personal journey of, you know, who am I? Yeah. What are my values? What's yeah. important for me? And, uh, and what do I want to see in the next chapter of my life? For sure. And, uh, yeah. you know, I've been able to, to do that and, and have clarity now on, uh, on what that's going to look like. Yeah, and it sounds like that might be another startup. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know it. <laughs> yeah, which is which is cool. I think it's uh, I think it's nice to see you know someone having a successful exit, exit, taking some time off, and then getting back into it. Like I think it does show that it is a bit of a entrepreneurship is a little bit of a drug as well, right? Like you once you get in there, even though it's stressful and it's hard work it's also something that's so rewarding and, and motivating at the same time. Absolutely. And I, I, I toyed with it for a while because I have friends and, and other contacts starting other companies who, you know, who have asked me to, to join or at least be involved. And, and I want to, and I'm ex genuinely excited about those opportunities as yeah. well. Yeah. But when I really take a step back and think about who am I and what drives me, like I am a creator, I am a problem solver, and um, I do value some level of autonomy. Mm -hmm. um, and and for me, I want to create a company that would share some of the personal values that I have. Right. And so, really, starting another company, big or small, is, is something I want to do. And and truthfully, I'm more interested in creating a company that I and people would love to work at right and and feel proud of of doing something that uh you know we believe in yeah. versus you know just jumping into anything so yeah one well, and that you've kind of got the luxury of being able to do that right now right like it's you've True. done one 
And it's like, yeah, what does the next 10 years look like? And you can afford to be picky, right? You're right. Like the first one, I couldn't think about these things. Like for this, yeah. for the new company, I'm thinking, well, how can I give back to society and the community and, and create a company that is both profitable and doing good in the world? Yeah. Whereas the first one, while that was always an intention, it wasn't the focus in the early days. First, in the early days, how do we survive? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it, it's a different place you yeah. know, being the second time around. Yeah. And then, I mean, from that first experience, any, you know, there's always talks about different people's mornings, routines, how do they juggle everything, all this sort of stuff. Any tips that you would have for anyone around that? Or is it just kind of just do it? I'm a, I'm a disaster. <laughs> I saw those questions and I was like, you know, I, I have the ideal morning in my head and the routine and, right. and the juggling in my head. Yeah. And it never goes according to plan. Right. Um, I think I'm just that type of person where uh, I know what I'd like to do, um, but if I can't, I'm going to adapt and just yeah. figure it out. But yeah, but yeah no, I, I, there are others who are much better than me in, in that. But <laughs> I, my intentions there, I just haven't been able to execute. And looking back, I mean, at that sale period, you had a, your first child, right? Um, yeah. And you had the craziness of the work. You had the craziness of the process. Like any observations about how you juggled all of that? Or was it just crazy and you just kind of dealt with it no we we were fortunate to have a, a really hard-working competent team yeah to to really carry carry the company through the process and, and through the hard times and i would actually say this is true of of the company and through its life and we've been fortunate to have great people working with us yeah with um that allowed us to to have work-life balance truthfully yeah, yeah. Um, because everyone owned their respective areas and, and, you know, took it, you know, made it a part of their own personal growth. And, yeah. and that was, that was good for them and good for us. Yeah. No, that's, 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 I mean, I, it's always interesting to see people's different approaches and some things work for some people and some things don't work for, for others. So, um, Anything else, like uh, any any books that you kind of read and recommend or anything like that? Like I know you're, you're, the phase you're in right now is kind of self-development and self-focus. Anything I, anything you can recommend there? Again, I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. Like I, I have time and yeah. I should have been reading a book a day. Right. But the truth is that I am less of a theory person and more of a, a practical person. Right. Yeah. And so I take my lessons generally through life experience and less through through theory. Yeah. Um, not to say that I shouldn't or can't, but it's just the way I'm wired. I, yeah. I even yeah. even through university, like I love lectures, but I hated reading. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, if you tell me something, I'll yeah. absorb it. But if yeah, I have to yeah. read it myself, it's it's a lot. Uh, it's a lot harder for me to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no real, you know, winning books or anything like right. that. But I I'm, I'd say just do it. Like, yeah. What in my my goal is like, you've got an idea, just do it. Uh, you'll figure it out. Well, that's. I think that's probably a great spot to finish the interview. I I really appreciate the time today, Ravine, and. Uh, and wish you all the best in your future endeavors. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ravine.
We hope you enjoyed this interview. Definitely let us know if there are future guests we should have on the podcast. And please subscribe for future updates. Have a brilliant day. Thank you.